Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in the study that we're doing through the New Testament, we're actually right now in the book of Mark. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15. Um, next week we'll end up, the book of Mark will be in Mark chapter 16 next week. And then after that, like I said, we're going to go from Mark to John, okay? So if you're reading ahead, as I'm sure you're all doing, so you're tuned in and ready to go every week, um, please know that we're going to skip Luke, we're going to do John, and then we're going to come back and we're going to do Luke and Acts together, okay? Because uh, they flow very nicely, written by the same author. So, uh, so that's how we're going to study this part of the New Testament. But uh, we've been looking at... Mark chapter 15, again, remember uh, Mark, one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, very similar, um, but each one targeting a slightly different uh, uh, audience, and uh, Mark was written to the Romans, um, who were very much impressed with authority and power, and so the gospel was structured to reach out to them, and we jumped into the gospel account in Mark, right into the sort of the thick of things with Jesus, and uh, we looked immediately at his power and ministry. There was less focus in Mark on the teaching of Jesus, although we got to it, but uh, not as heavily emphasized as it was in the book of Matthew. Um, we've seen the plot line, again, in Mark, is that Jesus came to reestablish relationship uh, with, his, with God's people and to point out the flaws in the religious system at the time and how it had, had uh, uh, become something completely different that was all about... Uh, a ritual and regulation, and Jesus came saying that's not what God ever intended. It's all about grace and faith. And so uh, conflict with the Pharisees from the very beginning, who, um, who even though they witnessed the miracles and, um, and saw the things that Jesus was doing under the anointing of the Spirit and the power of God, um, hearing his message that uh, indeed the kingdom was at hand, and then backing it up the way that he did, they still chose to reject the message and from very early on in the ministry were attempting and planning and plotting to kill Jesus. Um, we, we saw over the last few chapters, we've been in, in uh, the last half of the book of Mark, deals with the last week of Jesus' ministry here um, before the crucifixion and resurrection. And, and we've been spending this time looking at... Uh, uh, the things that he presented and how when, on his triumphal entry he didn't set up a political kingdom. He went to the temple and he began to set things right, chasing out the, the people who had turned it into a robber's den and, and uh, setting things straight and making it available again. We, we, we saw that uh, in this process he then once again in, in the following chapter, in, in uh, chapter 12, he sort of made the point that the Pharisees had completely missed it. And he exposed their, their, what they were doing as being empty and shallow and, and, uh, and not the way that God had intended relationship to be. We looked at a chapter that was all about the days that lie ahead in uh, 13. And, and now we've, uh, uh, 14, he was with some friends and we saw what took place and he's been arrested. At the end of chapter 14, we saw him uh, before the religious leaders and they uh, brought lots of witnesses against him who couldn't get their stories straight. And they finally came up with one because they asked him if he was indeed the Christ. And he said yes. And uh, he, in that process, he claimed to be God. And that was the charge that they stuck on him, blasphemy. And, and we left him in the night uh, where he was, he was most likely led away, kept in a dungeon. And he moves in Mark chapter 15. We're going to see that uh, uh, things begin to open up and, and things happen very quickly 
on this day, um, starting with a, uh, uh, in Mark, a, a summarized verse, and we'll look at it, of, of the events of the morning, and then going before Pilate. But let me read to you Mark chapter 15. Um, there's 47 verses that I'll be reading. I'm reading out of the NIV. You can follow along in your Bible, whatever translation it might be, or there's Bibles in the rows if you would like to pick one up, or... You can read along with the bulletin if it's uh, something that you're able to see. All right? But Mark 15, beginning in verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing he was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate, released, have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with you, with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with Him also heaped insults on Him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, 
He's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary, Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with Jerusalem, with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some fine linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in the tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Um, really a, uh, a, a difficult, I think, chapter of Scripture. To uh, know that and to connect with the fact that Jesus didn't deserve any of what he went through, and all of us do, and he did it for us. That every insult, every beating, every lash, every moment, he did on our behalf, because he didn't deserve it. All of us, the Bible says, all of us deserve death because of sin. And yet Jesus, the one who had never sinned, he took it upon himself. Um, in that context, when we, we read the words, you know, at some level we, we always need to be aware of what he did and what it took that we might be restored into relationship with God, a perfect, holy God. And that we would never, ever take it for granted, that we would never take it lightly, that we would never... Um, think of sin as no big deal but that at some level we would always know that that while we sin a great high price was paid and and uh, it was all paid by jesus on our behalf and that's what happens in in this chapter that's the, the story that's told that's the the account of what we read in the book of mark now um what we get to is that as the chapter starts out, Jesus has been held overnight. Remember the, the trial in front of the chief uh, priests that had taken place. And, um, and, and yet that was done in a very shady way. And they needed to get to the Sanhedrin, who were sort of the um, ruling authority at some level of the Jews in Rome. The Romans had a, a very interesting way of dealing with the countries that they um, took over. In, in that they, while they oversaw them, 
they left a lot of the governmental stuff to the people that they had conquered. And so this, this group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin had a lot of authority uh, over the power, over the, the Jewish people. And yet they still, there were some things that they had to submit to in Rome, and obviously Rome collected taxes and all that other stuff. But the, the, uh, they were allowed to pretty much self-govern in the confines of uh, what the Romans said was okay and not okay. And so um, the Sanhedrin then uh, have uh, this little thing early in the morning. Uh, and again, it's way out of the way to avoid the crowds. The Sanhedrin get together and they sort of rehash what took place the night before. And they come up with the same conclusion that indeed Jesus um, uh, is to be found guilty of blasphemy. Um, Mark does all that in one verse. If you want to hear the account of how it worked, you have to read Luke Chapter 22, verses 66 through 71, there's a much more detailed account of what Mark carries in that first verse, chapter 15. But it's this time before the Sanhedrin. You know, the the thing that's so ironic is um, that Jesus doesn't defend himself. The only thing that he ever answers is the truth. When he's questioned if he is indeed the Christ, he says yes. And that's the very thing that they condemn him for when in fact that's what condemns them themselves is that they miss, they, they refuse to see that indeed Jesus is the King of the Jews. He's the one that was coming, the one that came for them, and they, they decided not to receive him. And so uh, all this takes place in, in Mark. So now remember Jesus has undergone already the insults and, and the beatings, and these continue throughout the day. Um, the Sanhedrin, though, even though they have the authority to um, say that he's guilty, they don't have the authority to have anyone executed. And so that, that authority resided in the Roman uh, government that was in place in Pilate. Only he could exercise that sort of authority. And because they, they wanted Jesus out of the way, remember they've been trying to figure out how to do this for a long time. They want it dealt with, and they want it dealt with now, and they want him crucified. And again, when you read the story, they, they slip around back roads and stuff because um, they're, they're trying to keep him away from the crowds that had welcomed him, and they're stirring up a whole different segment uh, to get this hap- to happen. And so Jesus is brought before Pilate. And in, in verses 2 through 15, um, we see the interaction between Pilate and Jesus and the chief priest and the the chief priests are there once again accusing Jesus of all sorts of things that he doesn't answer. And Pilate is amazed by the whole process. And from all the gospel accounts, we know that Pilate was, was really did not want to order the execution of Jesus. He, he kept looking for a way not to do it, but he finally gives in to the will of the crowd. Uh, it's amazing how often people are swayed by the will of the crowd, especially, I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but people in politics. Um, are swayed by not even the majority, but by the vocal parts of the crowd. And so um, rather than even doing what he thought was right, he finally says, well, okay, that's what you want. And he sends Jesus to be flogged and then hands him over to be crucified. Um, and, and again, we, we see the, uh, in, in verses 16 through 23 the, 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 the beating by the Roman soldiers. Now understand these Roman soldiers would have uh, 
uh, not had any real sort of understanding of the Jews. Most of them would have been um, from far away from the empire, forced to march over the desert to, to hot Palestine. They wouldn't have really wanted to be serving there. And this was an opportunity to take out their frustrations in, on Jesus, and, and which intensifies the magnitude of what takes place as they, as they just beat him um, and, and mock him and um, all the things that they do to him before he's crucified. Now, flogging was normal before crucifixion because it increased blood loss. Uh, crucifixion is perhaps the most horrific way uh, or form of execution that has ever been devised because it's agonizingly slow. And what, what kills people when they're crucified isn't that they've been nailed hand and foot to a cross. It's that in, in that position, having already been flogged and a loss of blood, the... the um, The blood flow can't keep happening, and what happens usually over a period of days is that people die an agonizing death because there's not enough blood circulating to the brain and to the heart. And and that's that's how horrific crucifixion is, what a horrific torture it is. It was so bad that no Roman citizen could ever be executed in that fashion. Um, It was reserved for the worst of criminals, And, and it was reserved for people that weren't Romans, to demonstrate what happens if you ever messed with Rome, although Jesus never had. And yet this was the punishment that was given to him. And, and, uh, and, and that's what's taking place with our Jesus. Now, um, Jesus spends six hours on the cross, agonizing hours. Um, but, but you, you have to understand how it fits into um, prophetically the feast which we've talked about and how things to, for Jesus to fulfill this part of the feast that had been established of, of uh, early first fruits and Passover and all the things, things had to happen on a schedule preordained by God. And so uh, what you have to know at all times is that even though Jesus endured these things, he willingly went and, and he fulfilled a pre-established and ordained time because he dies after six hours, instead of just taking lots of time. He, he could have stopped this at any point, but he didn't because he had to go through it for us. He knew it was the only way. And he'd wrestled through this at the garden. This was the way that relationship could be restored. Jesus, who was perfect and holy and had lived a sinless life, would go to the cross and by his sacrificial death, he would make it right for all of us. So he had to do it. But after he's on the cross for three hours... It goes completely dark. And for the next three hours, the, this, he, he endures. And at the end of that three hours, at, at the six-hour mark on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, some uh, sometimes think, well, you know, it was just this, he was in this severe, agonizing, torturous pain, which indeed he was. But it was at this time... This cry signifies when he indeed becomes sin for us, when he takes on the sin of the world. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And at that moment, for the first and only time, the Father turns away from the Son. And Jesus experienced the full meaning of alienation from God that sin always causes. And that's the cry. And then a moment later, the work of redemption is done. And Jesus breathed his last. Um, Something happens at that moment that's significant, recorded for us here in the book of Mark, is that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Uh, This is significant because the, the curtain in the temple separated the Holy of Holies from everything else. And the Holy of Holies was an inner room in the temple that was only entered into once a year by the high priest who brought in sacrificial blood to make an atonement for the people of Israel. And, and he was only allowed to go in there once a year to atone for the sins. It was always a blood atonement. And, and uh, this, this place was the Holy of Holies. That's what it was called. And, 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 and so it's a picture. You need to get a picture of the fact that, that sin has caused this separation from God. And, and the temple was, was, demonst- was, was a picture of that. And that only by a sacrifice of blood could, could entrance even be made. And only by a perfect sacrifice could this, this sin be dealt with once and for all. And, and what happens when the curtain is torn in two is it's a picture that because of the work of Christ on the cross, we all now, through Christ, have access to God. Because the sacrifice for our sin has been made once and for all in Him. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's not on any action on our own. But in, sec- in accepting the atoning work of Christ on the cross. When we talk about you know, uh, coming into the kingdom and we talk about a a simple prayer that we pray where, where we, we just come and we give ourselves and, and we confess uh, with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that He was raised from the dead. What we're, what we're accepting is that this is what took place on the cross, that Jesus, who had never sinned, went willingly for us, gave His life for us, and in so doing, made a way for us then to have access to God. Our part in the entire process is to receive this amazing gift and opportunity. And that's what we do with with those simple confessions. And then we begin this walk. And, and it's always grace and faith that we walk in. Remembering always what took place. How it's even possible that we might have relationship with God. Only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Of what he endured. Of what he went through on our behalf. And so that, that picture of the, of, the, of the curtain tearing. You need to know that that's, that's this amazing picture of the work of Christ on the cross, making a way for us to God, no longer separated by our sin, but but because of Christ washed, made new, and become the righteousness of God. And then, um, in those last few verses, uh, Jesus is, is buried in a tomb. And all of this has to happen before sundown. Uh, and so, they rush around, Joseph of Arimathea boldly, remember that the the ruling council boldly goes to Pilate and asks for the body. And Pilate, because he's surprised that because people don't die on the cross in six hours, 
had the centurion check, the, the captain of the guard, is he really dead? It's, it's significant to know that Jesus died on the cross because some people have put forth a theory that he wasn't really dead and they call it the swoon theory and that he had just passed out and they put him in the tomb and he never really resurrected because he never really died. And then he just ran off and hid and that's why there was never a body. A lot of, as crazy as it sounds, it's a very prevalent thought. Um, but if there was no death, there was no resurrection, then we're without hope. If Jesus didn't fulfill what it needed to be fulfilled on the cross, we are without hope. But he did. He died. And, and it's recorded for us. And there were witnesses and people saw it and they checked. They wouldn't have brought him down if he hadn't died. And, they, and the, he was buried before sundown when, when that needed to take place. And the tomb rolled away and then everybody had to leave because they needed to prepare for the Sabbath and, and the things that needed to happen. And so we wait. And, you know, the words are it was Friday, but Sunday's coming. But have you, have you ever thought, do you ever take the time to think about what people who were close to Jesus must have been going through when they saw the stone rolled in front of the tomb. Can you imagine the impact of, of having been with him for those three years, having seen all that he's done, having, having lived with him, knowing that he was the Messiah, the one who was promised to come the paradigm all along thinking that he would come in and reestablish the Davidic kingdom to its, to its glorious state and years. And yet here he is now arrested and beaten and mocked and crucified. And now he's dead. He's gone. For all they know, he's gone. His words still not, I'll be back, don't worry. These are things are going to happen. Not sinking in. Jesus is gone. And that's how, that's how it's left now. And, and that's the, the, the balance. And that's what happened. And where they're left until we get to Sunday. And, and I wonder what it must have been like to, to, to experience that. And, and we have to remember that, that that's all a part of, of what happens. All that Jesus did is a part of, of the story of life that we have. That he was willing to do that for us. And, 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 and you know, we're fortunate because we know this side of the story. And we know that he rose again and defeated death. And because of that, we know as we wait that he's coming back for us. And so we have those promises that we hang on to. But, but see, that's, that's all that takes place and, and what you need to see in this, in this amazing chapter. All that Jesus did for us, that we might have life. And that's Mark chapter 15. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, um, if you're watching by video, thank you. If you need anything, call us, email us, write us. We'll pray for you. If you're up in Williston watching, Scott and Pam will pray for you. God bless you guys. We're going to go ahead and do prayer requests here. And we'll see you next time for Mark chapter 16. If you have any prayer requests, why don't you pass them up to me? I would be happy to pray for you. And then we will call it an evening. Next week is the resurrection. It's a much more fun chapter. <laughs>